Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. It's great to be back with you, friends. Recording this from snowy Chicago this morning on April 2nd, but I can't complain too much as I had a nice few days in Florida this week visiting my mom, so it did get some spring warmth, but back, of course, to this unpredictable Chicago weather. But that's not why I'm here today to talk to you about the weather. I'm here to um, share some thoughts with you about the text I'll be preaching on this weekend as we start a new sermon series called FaceTime, Overcoming Loneliness Together. So before I get into that, let me read the text for this particular Sunday. This comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses, I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. May God's blessing be on the hearing, living out of this word. So we were in a setting a few weeks ago, my wife and I and our two kids, uh, where we met uh, another parent uh, that we had never met before. And they had three kids, two of whom were almost exactly our kids' age. And as we were chatting and we were going to be in a particular uh, time and, and setting where it might be an opportunity for my kids to make friends with their kids. And so, of course, as parents are wont to do, that's one of the first things that we say is, oh, you should make friends with these new people. And our kids looked at us and looked at each other like we had just said, why don't you go and strip nude and roll around in the snow? There was no way they were going to do this, have these quote-unquote friends, foisted upon them, and it looked like they would rather do anything else but that. You know, it's very 
adult parent thing to do is to have your kids make friends with other kids. And as I think back on it, I realize that that's probably not the most natural way to do that kind of matchmaking. Friendship just kind of happens. And often it happens when our kids are the ones who start things and not the parents who force them into it. But now I'm happy to say when I talk about friendship that I have science on my side as to why this is important. One of our staff members, Emily McGinley, pointed me to an article in the Washington Post recently that states that loneliness is increasingly seen today as a serious public health hazard. Apparently, scientists have identified that there are significant links between loneliness and illness, and they're trying to find the exact biological mechanisms that make this such an issue, and they dig down into the molecular level And they have found that social isolation changes the human genome in profound and long-lasting ways. And there's potential for damage because these genetic changes appear comparable to injuries to health from smoking or diabetes or obesity. Last year, the UCLA School of Medicine psychologist Steve Cole uncovered complex immune system responses at work in lonely people. He and his colleagues found that social, social isolation turned up the activity of genes responsible for inflammation and turned down the activity of genes that produce antibodies to fight infection. A few years ago, I heard this sermon, or can't remember if I read a sermon by a, a writer and a pastor named John Ortberg, who cited a study that was somewhat similar to this Washington Post one, and he quipped that it's, therefore, he takes this to say that it is better to eat Twinkies with friends than eat broccoli by yourself. So I can tell my kids now, make friends. It's for your health. You know, I'm in a context here in Chicago where so many people moved to the city, and that was one of the things that really surprised me. I guess it shouldn't have, but it surprised me when I moved from the suburbs into the city is what a mecca Chicago is for Midwesterners, especially Midwest young adults who want to come to Chicago and live for a few years. So, so many people move here when they're in their 20s, and I'm always impressed that they may know one or two people that perhaps they went to college with or whatever, but still, that is a huge leap to move into the city. I remember back when I was 26 years old and I moved to Evanston, a, a suburb just north of Chicago, wasn't the city itself, but there's parts of Evanston because the L goes up to Evanston that you certainly feel like you're still in the metropolitan area. And I'll never forget moving there. And my dad had helped me move uh, there. And he came back. We, he rented a U-Haul and I dropped the U-Haul off. And my dad took the Greyhound bus back home to Iowa. And I remember driving my car to my new home in Evanston along North Lakeshore Drive just thinking, what have I done and feeling this fear and panic because I knew hardly anyone who lived in Chicago at that time. You know, the city of Chicago has a population of more than 2.7 million people. And yet, I think often people ask themselves, how can a place with that many people and still we feel like we don't have anyone to be with? We still feel like we don't have any friends. So many people and yet so much loneliness. This is a very real thing, and it moved us to do a sermon series about it, which I noted earlier, FaceTime, Overcoming Loneliness Together. 
You know, we talk all the time about community at Urban Village, and certainly one of the verses that I always point to comes from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2.18, after God has created the first human, God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And so another person is created to be with this first human. And so we talk about the, the desire and the, the need and the goodness of community, and we keep pushing for people to go into small groups, and maybe sometimes they may feel like that we're pushing them, and you may feel like my kids did, like, what are you doing? You can't just force this on me. But we sometimes acknowledge, or fail to acknowledge, rather, or I fail to acknowledge, the courage it takes to meet someone new, and the huge leap it is for you in order to really go into a new small group or to build a relationship with someone. It might be easier when you're kids and it gets, seems like it gets harder and harder when we are adults, especially for folks who are more shy or more introverted. That's one of the things that strikes me about the passage that I read today from Acts. I must confess at first when I saw this or read this passage as the text for this particular topic that we're introducing about loneliness and friendship, and I thought, I don't really see where the fit is here. How does this fit into what we are wanting to say? Because Ananias and Saul don't necessarily hit it off as best friends. But when I took a closer look, I think we can see some characteristics in both Saul and Ananias that I think we can emulate. So word about this man named Saul, who later would become Paul, for those who may have grown up in the church or know something about Christianity, Paul is a familiar name. He was a renowned evangelist, perhaps the renowned evangelist, and traveling around what is today Greece and Turkey, telling others about who the risen Christ was. We're in Easter season now. We're in the Easter time where we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the impact that can have on our lives and in this world. And this was Paul's experience after he had the experience that we read about today was so overwhelmed by this that he just had to tell others about it. And so did an enormous travel and starting new faith communities. And so when we think about who is the one perhaps who was most responsible for sharing the gospel Paul is certainly one of the individuals that we list. So we read the beginnings of this story today. You may have known the story, but certainly we get a summary and we're reminded of how it all started, verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So you might think to yourself, how, how can it be that this individual is responsible more than anyone else for sharing the gospel, and yet he has an attitude that uh, is just awful? Not somebody that you certainly want to make friends with. How can somebody who was threatening early Christians be the one to totally transform the spread of this faith. If you're looking to meet a friend, Saul, probably not the kind of characteristics you are looking for. There's understandable interest in, though, Saul's conversion and what happened to him and this light that comes down and the resurrected Christ coming to him for the first time, and it makes for a really compelling story. But today I want to instead jump ahead to verse 10 and have us meet Ananias whose name means God is merciful. 
We learn later in Acts, in Acts 22, that Ananias was a lawful Jew, one who was part of the way of Jesus, but he was also Jewish, as was Paul. And so this is the kind of person, Ananias is the kind of person that Saul was persecuting. Ananias also receives a vision. And so we see here, here is a faithful Jew. And he is uh, wanting to obey what God says. So he has this vision. So I can imagine Ananias having this vision and being excited, overwhelmed by what God is, what the Lord is about to say to him. And so if we may kind of rephrase things, make it a little bit more modern, we might imagine that, that God is saying to Ananias, Ananias, I have a great opportunity for you. And Ananias responds, here I am, Lord. And so God says, get up. And Ananias says, yes, go to the street called Straight. And Ananias says, uh-huh, uh-huh. And God says, at the house of Judas. Ananias says, yes, I know the place. God says, look for a man of Tarsus. And Ananias is thinking, oh, okay, Tarsus. And then God says, named Saul. And if we are imagining what is happening here, surely silence is the response from Ananias All that excitement is building up, how he is going to respond to this vision. And then God is saying to you, I want, or saying to him, I want you to go to this man named Saul. And then God continues with the instructions, but I'm not sure Ananias really heard much of the rest because he has an excellent question. Lord, I I, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints, as if to say, are, are you sure? Maybe it's different house. Maybe it's different man from Tarsus, different street, perhaps. But God's response is simply go. Go. No mistakes have been made. Go. And so then God continues to give instruction, and these instructions end at verse 16. With God saying, I myself will show him, Saul that is, I myself will show Saul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Period. Space. And then the next sentence says, verse 17, so Ananias went. I mentioned this a few weeks ago in another text when I talked about how I'm always fascinated and like to imagine things, what happened in the space in between verses. So verse 16 ends with instructions of my name, period, space, and then verse 17 begins, so Ananias went. What happens in that space after God gives instruction And Ananias goes. As we read it, it reads like Ananias goes immediately. But I have to believe that there's all kinds of things happening in that space. I mentioned a few moments ago that I was in Florida this week. My son was on spring break. My kids are on different spring breaks now because they're in different schools. So I went with my son down to the Tampa area to visit my mom. And one of the first days we traveled down to the Gulf of Mexico uh, and went out to uh, a beach, and um, this often happens, of course, especially whenever you there's a big body of water, and it's still fairly early, even though it's Florida, it's still fairly early in the season, and you dip your little toe in, and you think to yourself, this is freezing cold. And my son was braver than I was, and so he kind of went out, and he acknowledged it was cold too, but he started going out, and he said, oh, it's not so bad, and he starts swimming around a little bit, and he's 
kind of trying to get me to come out. And there's always that moment where I have to decide, do I want to actually get into this freezing cold water? Or maybe it's just better that I just enjoy watching my son play in the waves uh, and the water and all those things. But finally, I realize like I have to just dive in. And so you st- for me, it's always just stealing myself in like a Band-Aid, ripping it off and just running right into it and diving right in and swimming like crazy to warm up. So there's that space between deciding, do I want to really dive in and experience this discomfort or maybe I should just stay over here? And I wonder in that time, in that space for Ananias, the same thing is, do I just stay here where things are pretty good with me and my faith or do I actually go and follow what God is saying to me? And the courage it took Ananias in that space, that thin space, that holy space, that difficult space where he makes the decision, I'm going to have the courage to take a risk and begin the process of building this relationship. And so he does. He dives in and he shows enormous courage. And the first thing that he does is he lays his hands on Saul. Can you imagine the fear that he must have been feeling and yet also the faith that he has and the courage in order to go up to this new person that he's heard some things about and he touches him. And there's always power in the touch. And he touches him and he says, Brother Saul. So immediately there is intimacy with what Ananias has called to Saul. He has touched him, this man who is causing harm to early Christians, and then he calls him brother. And Ananias begins to show vulnerability. He begins to show a willingness to expand who he might want to be in relationship with. And I'm amazed by what Ananias does here, the fear that must have been building up inside him. And yet he takes this risk and summons this calling, this courage that God has given to him in, in order to begin and start this relationship. I've been thinking about that courage as I think this week about loneliness and and making friends and building relationships and how hard it is for us to do that. For some, it may become very easily and you're able to go into a, a big room, perhaps maybe, maybe you're going to um, some sort of networking opportunity or you go into a bar, wherever it is, and you think to yourself, so let's go, go make friends. And that is just impossible to think because... I'm over here and others are over there. And it always seems like the people over there are having such a great time. And you're over here on this island of loneliness and you're thinking, I can't do that. And yet God has given us, I think, the courage and the ability to have faith and to take a risk and begin to build relationships, maybe with people that we didn't think could be possible. And we start new friendships in order for us to flourish in our faith. It's been a challenging time for me as we are in this transition at Urban Village because, as many of you know who listen, I've talked before about uh, Trey Hall, who was the co-founder of Urban Village with me many years ago, and we started this thing together. And so I was just so used to having Trey around. 
certainly for all big decisions that we made or new ideas or the many gifts that Trey has that, that he, what he brought to the creation of Urban Village, and I will be eternally grateful for that. But more than that, more than Trey's skills as a church planter and as a pastor, and I think I knew I would miss him as one of my best friends, but it's really dawned on me in these two months or so that he's been gone, that he's gone. And there is a gap missing for me. That friendship that we still have, of course, but it's different when that friend moves to England. And so I keep wondering, like, how does one who is 48 years old go about making new friends? Is that a thing? And it is a thing. And especially, it's great when my wife and I can make friends together, like with another couple as well, because sometimes for clergy, um, and you spend lots of time with your people in your church, and you can, I think, make friends with people in your church, but sometimes that can be a challenge as well. Uh, but my wife and I, about a month or so ago, went to this reception that WBEZ, the public radio station here in Chicago, was putting on at the Lagunitas Brewing Company. And there was free tickets. It was on February 29th, actually, uh, Leap Year Day. And so they were giving tours of the Lagunitas Brewery here in Chicago, and there was also going to be a reception, so you could get free two free beers, and there was uh, some food there too. And I thought, this, well, how can you turn that down? And I also maybe was thinking, maybe this is an opportunity, a great way to meet other people who listen to public radio as we listen to public radio. And I have now gotten to the point where I've done the church planning enough where it's a little easier for me to go up to people and introduce myself. But still, it's not always easy. But my wife and I got there, and um, so we got our beers, and maybe it was just I took some quick sips of the beer that gave me a little extra courage. I don't know. I'm going to do a uh, attest that it was the Holy Spirit. And uh, we saw this couple sitting there, and there's really no one else around them. They were just chatting with each other. And I said to Anne, let's go sit by them. And so we did. And we started, we introduced ourselves, and we started chatting, and we kind of hit it off. We had a lot in common, and it was interesting to hear their stories. And so we had another beer, and the conversation was flowing, and it was great. And I thought to myself, is this, is this like a, a friendship that's building here? Part of me thought, am I too old to build a friendship with people that I didn't really know before? And later on, as it was clear that we needed to get going, I kind of asked them out for a date. And I said, you know what, this may seem really weird, but would you like to go out for dinner again? And, you know, sometimes you say that in settings and you may exchange business cards or whatever and nothing ever happens. But I thought to myself, no, I really want to make this work. And I had one the guy's card and uh, I didn't get around to it at first and then he emailed me like a few days later and said yeah that would be great let's get together and so next Friday night my wife and I are going on a date with another couple and this might be a friendship that begins and I'm really looking forward to it it was amazing what happened to me that night like meeting a new friend and hearing a new story and feeling kind of great about having the courage to start a conversation and to make the ask of, let's do this again. Now, that may seem like a silly thing. And for some of you, think, this is no big thing at all. Like, I do this all the time. But I felt really good about it. And it almost felt like a sacred experience. I have no idea. I don't know a lot about what their background is, their faith background. They asked me some questions about being a pastor, but I don't anticipate that they're going to be coming to Urban Village And yet that night, I just felt light. 
and I felt really good. And it reminded me of the power of relationship and the power of friendship. And it also made me thankful for having the courage to make a friend as well. It may seem like when reflecting on things in our faith lives that this seems a little pedestrian or a little too fluffy for some of the serious things that we can talk about in our faith, but I think it's a really important thing, especially for people who feel lonely and what an impact that can have on us. And so I'd invite you to really think about what are settings that you are in where you can take that risk, where you can kind of jump in and try to begin to build a relationship with somebody else so that your faith begins to be formed and your health begins to be formed too. Jump in, friends. Draw on the courage that is God-given, that was given to Ananias and has given to all of us to begin to build relationships, even with unlikely people and in unlikely places. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening this week to these thoughts. Uh, I hope that your relationships are healthy and that you also are continuing to seek out new relationships as well, uh, in addition to reaching out to old friends and friendships that need to be nurtured and perhaps repaired. I pray that God's blessing be maybe on all of you as you continue to do that good work as well. So until week, friend, next week, friends, you can always reach out to me again, chris at urbanvillagechurch.org. Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. I'm always happy to speak with and connect with you on any of these things. Until then, may the peace of Christ be yours. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I am.